With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. What is GDPR? And more importantly, how does it impact you and your company? Join internationally known data privacy, data protection expert, Jonathan Armstrong, and Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, to learn more about the burgeoning world of data privacy and data protection. After listening to this episode, you'll walk away with a greater understanding of what this means for you and your organization. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Jonathan Armstrong, partner at Cordery Compliance in London for another episode. Uh, This is our first episode of the new year and indeed the new decade. So, Jonathan, I suppose I should say Happy New Year. And Happy New Year to you as well, Tom. Jonathan, we are recording this uh, four days after the United Kingdom threw off its European shackles and is now uh, Brexited, if I can use that verb. Um, but there's been a lot of uh, interesting uh, things going on in the data privacy and data protection world. And I was wondering if we might start with one that we visited on in 2019, which is a proposed fine for British Airways. Uh, there's been either some movement or non-movement, I'm not quite sure which, on that. And I was wondering if you might be able to uh, remind us what that case was about and talk us through what are some of the implications from the recent uh, announcements from the ICO. Yeah, happy to, Tom. And I guess um, to continue the same analogy, as far as Brexit is concerned, then the UK is currently in the departure lounge rather than on the plane ready to fly. So... Uh, As things stand at the moment, it is likely that the UK uh, stays in some of the EU systems until the end of the year. That's uh, subject to change depending on various things that could happen. But as far as the whole GDPR system is concerned, there has been change at the end of January, but we're not exactly sure uh, to Uh, to to which uh, regime. So we're going to make some assumptions, I think, in this podcast, which could, of course, be out of date as soon as we finish talking. But as far as the BA fine is concerned, then I think we are entering the final phase, although we haven't got there yet. So let me just explain. Many of you will remember from our earlier podcast the British Airways had a data breach and they publicized the fact that the UK data protection regulator, the ICO, proposed a fine of £183 million. And at around about the same time, Marriott also announced that they were under investigation by the ICO and that they had received a notice of intent to fine them 99.2 million pounds. So it's important to remember, first of all, that it was both of the organizations concerned that made this public and not the ICO. And um, ordinarily, there are set 
uh, time limits for these fines to crystallize. There's a process uh, to go through. And this is where it gets somewhat complicated because the fines were for breach of GDPR, but technically the fines, which are called monetary penalties under the UK legislation, are levied under UK legislation, in this case, the Data Protection Act 2018. And that's more or less the same system as applies uh, across the EU. Now, under the uh, 2018 Data Protection Act, the ICO has to take into account various things when assessing the uh, eventual monetary penalty. And what happens is that the ICO does an initial investigation, serves a notice of intent, and then allows the company to make representations. And we know that in this case, British Airways said that they would do that. And I think we can assume that they've sent quite a lot of documentation for the ICO to look through. And the uh, Act says that the ICO has to look at action taken by, in this case, BA, the data controller, to reduce the uh, damage or distress. To, so it's called mitigate the damage. And they have to take into account the technical and organizational measures that uh, British Airways has in place. Now, ordinarily, we would have expected the notice of intent to be either crystallized, so a, a, a monetary penalty set, or the case to have been closed with no further action by the end of January. So we should have known the certain result by now. But uh, the ICO has said that they have extended that time until the end of March. So in some respects, it's a complex case because I think there are allegations that a third party might be responsible for the breach rather than BA. And I imagine there are some arguments over uh, who's responsible for what and whether British Airways took adequate technical and organizational measures, those TOMs that we seem to talk about uh, on most of the uh, podcasts that we do. Well, Jonathan, let me stop you there because isn't every data breach caused by a third party? Isn't by its own very nature? Uh, that means someone has breached a company's uh, data securities protocol and if not extracted information, perhaps just rummaged around. Uh, and I guess I'm a little confused as to why even a, a nefarious third party, uh, if it was a nefarious third party who had superior technical skills, how that would uh, impact the ICO's view of what uh, BA did or did not do. Yeah, I think that it can be complicated. I think most breaches are third-party breaches. I think we're going to do a podcast in a, in a, a few days' time, which is probably the exception to the rule when the organization concerned seems to be directly responsible. I think one of the aspects I predict that uh, will become an issue in this case is the almost like the extended supply chain of online operations. So I think in the very early websites, people were responsible for everything that was on their pages. But that changed very quickly. When people started taking payments online, they quite often relied on third parties to take those payments. And that's been the sort of status quo for e-commerce for many, many years now. 
So I guess the arguments could be around how effectively an organization can supervise third parties when those third parties have expertise of their own. Of their own. But that, that, that would be mere speculation. Um, my, my thought is that there must be some complexity for um, the ICO to delay. And there's perhaps a guide to what's happening in another case. It's a pre-GDPR case where we've only recently uh, had the conclusion of the investigation. This is an investigation into DSG. They're a retailer. They own brands, including PT World, where the ICO's enforcement decision is pretty complicated and looks into some of the technology involved in some detail. So that's maybe a signpost to the fact that there could be some technical complexity in this case. Uh, Jonathan, without giving away any of your trade secrets, uh, would you say that the ICO is willing to uh, sit across the table and if not negotiate or work with counsel for a company who may have had a data breach to at least listen to arguments of the level of sophistication and complexity involved and why uh, perhaps a fine should be lowered based upon those factors? Yeah, I mean, from my experience, I find the ICO um, pretty reasonable as a regulator. The, um, my experience is that they will listen to reasoned argument. My concern, I think, in cases like this is that sometimes people think that they have got to play hardball with the regulator. And in this case, you might remember that uh, senior management at BA uh, almost announced the fact that they believed that the regulator was wrong and that they'd be appealing straight away. And I think that's a difficult tactic in the UK. And it might be something that U.S. attorneys think works with U.S. regulators. I'm, I've, I've no knowledge of that. But I don't think it works as well in the U.K. And I think, as we've talked about before, when we've talked about all sorts of cases, Cambridge Analytica being one, uh, regulators deserve some respect. It's a little bit like, I don't know, if you play rugby in the U.K., even if you disagree with the referee, you must call the referee sir at all times and be polite. And we're a little bit like that with regulators as well. So from my experience, the ICO are pretty reasonable to deal with. You can have grown-up conversations. With my caveat, I think, that I hope I've never shown open dissent to a regulator. And I think it's a more difficult conversation if you do. So, Jonathan, um, can we now turn to perhaps one of your least favorite topics right now, which is, of course, Brexit. And uh, sitting over here uh, from the United States, I think there is still, uh, if not uncertainty, at least a question of the interplay between the ICO and the EU regulators, how that will shake out going forward. But does, is that, uh, in your opinion, having a direct impact on this case? Yeah, I think it could. And I, I think where it could get um, get tricky is in uh, cases like um, if the EDPB, the European Data Protection Board, has to look at this case, who's in the room when that happens, and if there's an appeal. So our best guess at the moment, and, and there's no real certainty to this, is it seems as if the European Data Protection Board 
have said that the UK is no longer a member. But between now and uh, December, it will be invited to join perhaps three, and four, three or four of the monthly meetings. So we don't yet know. Um, th th there is a system called One Stop Shop on the GDPR where one regulator, in this case the UK, would be the lead regulator across the EU and the uh, disposal of the case would be good for the whole of the EU. Now, in this case, it seems as if the UK can still be the lead regulator, but possibly can't vote in any uh, EDPB vote on whether the uh, fine is too high or too low. And we've got a process called the consistency mechanism, which is trying to look at whether the fine uh, is, is appropriate uh, in addition. So there's a lot of complexity there. And in addition, if the notice of intent uh, is made final and a monetary penalty notice is issued, then BA can appeal. And whilst there is a domestic process in the UK that would hear that appeal, issues of European law, so the interpretation of GDPR, would commonly be referred to uh, the European Court of Justice to, if you like, assist the UK courts in interpretation. And we're not sure how that system is going to work, given that the UK uh, intends to uh, withdraw from, from that system as well. So I think there are a number of complexities caused to the case by Brexit, in addition to those that we've talked about already. As I've said, the extension applies until March uh, uh, 2020, so at the end of March uh, this year. But uh, appeals to the, uh, th through the domestic system and then referrals out to the ECJ could take two, two and a half years. So if BA chooses to appeal, then we may not have some certainty for some time yet. However, BA may take the view that they can talk to the regulator and agree something, because quite often corporations would rather have an early certain result than appeal, because that can impact on share price whilst they still have a contingent liability on their books. So, Jonathan, this sounds like uh, really the <clears throat> multiple levels of complexity and that um, the delay that the ICO has granted may well have been uh, um, very well called for in this case because of so many different moving parts and that uh, perhaps there will be political developments in the interim which might even um, further complicate or simplify matters going forward. Yeah, I think that's right. And the FOI statement that, that you know, led us to write this alert it's on, our, on our website is not really very detailed. Uh, the ICO has issued uh, subsequent guidance on how GDPR it thinks is working in the interim. So it issued that guidance on, uh, on uh, 31st January. Again, that's on our website as well. But I think it just goes to show that there are probably more questions than certain answers. 
Well, Jonathan, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this podcast, but I hope our listeners, we will link to that uh, information in, uh, on the firm's website and our show notes. I greatly look forward to seeing what uh, we come up with next. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and thanks for thanks uh, for letting me talk through such a complicated issue. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Life with GDPR. We're going to link to the quarterly compliance uh, British Airways client alert in our show notes, so check that out. Hope you will join Jonathan and I again in our next episode where we take up another issue related to GDPR in the United Kingdom. Life with GDPR is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network and a proud member of C-Suite Radio. Thanks so much for listening. I look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.